and welcome back to Fox Popcast, the weekly pseudo-academic roundtable pop culture analysis with drinking and swearing. My name is Christopher Maverick, but you can call me Mav, and I am once again here with my co-host, Wayne and Hannah. Welcome back, guys. You guys were you missed a show where I was by myself, sort of, but not really last week. It was interesting. <laughs> <laughs> I think we have good excuses. Yeah, yeah. Well, it's... Yeah. Yeah, and it's, but it was just, it's, this show is always really weird because people were like, oh, who's on this? And when somebody asked me, I'm like, I don't know. I lose track. I'm here most week. But the show is, I mean, the show has always been me hanging out with my smart friends once a week. And usually it's you guys, you know? Yeah. <laughs> most of the time. Yeah. Some, and some other friends, but yeah. You know. Last week, we did a show that was a joint show with our friends at the protagonist with joe and andrew but if you didn't hear it last week it's more or less their show this week we were we did a uh weird double recording so you can hear the show on either feed but it's not exactly the same there's minor differences so you can like listen and compare them and you can see what differences are between their feed and ours are we giving prizes for the people who discover the differences no (laughs) good good, because we're cheap remember when you joked that like and, and no one but us will remember this because it was in our group chat. But remember when you joked that I could give away the stuff I don't want anymore from my kitchen? Oh, yeah. <laughs> oh, there you um, go. That, that, those are the prizes. No one wants them. The prize is not getting them. <laughs> Congratulations. <Yeah. laughs> so, Hannah, you're, so you're back. So you announced last time you were on a couple weeks ago, you are still in the world of buying slash rebuilding your house <laughs> rebuilding is a strong word but when i said i was responsible last time what i meant was like the weight of responsibility is on me mm-hmm. so mm-hmm. like i have learned how to patch drywall yeah um, I've seen pictures. <laughs> and uh, it looks better than last time you saw it. <laughs> no it's it's actually um, it actually looks i mean i've having done this i've done this before it's a pain in the ass, but like it's an experience that I promise you, you'll be proud of, you know, in a month or when you're done, <laughs> like, yeah. like you're not gonna be proud of it when you're like in two weeks, you're going to be rushing, trying to get everything into the house as you move out of, you know, oh, out of your no, the timeline's much faster than that. So we're finishing up. Like, we're putting the final touches on the patches tomorrow. Mm-hmm. We're painting with primer on drywall. On Saturday, and ever how many like other coats of paint we can get done, but without being stupid, because you should always wait for dry times mm-hmm. and account for things like humidity, and then trying to like finish up the painting on Sunday, and then next Friday, the movers come. Oh, moving day. Okay, so you got a week. <laughs> I got a week. Okay. So, so you might be wondering why on earth I'm here. So I can also tell you though, once you are moved in. Moving in doesn't mean you have to unpack. You can take a decade for that. <laughs> no rush. Because yep. Yep. <laughs> I've done that. I've been like, oh, I should get that I box am, when I'm, I just moved in. Yep. I'm actually certain there are boxes in my basement that are where I set them down 13 years ago. Yeah, I still find them. We've been here 18 we years. Are, it's, it's we are, yeah, we are clearly not a minimalism podcast. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it brings me I, joy knowing they're there. Oh, my favorite. I, this is, was a weird tangent. It has nothing to do with what we're talking about today. But if you look, you can find interviews with Marie Kondo. 
from the last year where she's yeah. done where she's done interviews where she apologized because she's like yeah. okay so covid happened and there was a pandemic and i had to take care of my kids and fuck everything that i'd said before like if you want to yeah. hoard you can hoard and she's just like my house is a mess i'm so sorry and i was and i'm just like as a, as a person who so like you know i've got like like my brother and his family they were doing they were very much in the marie kondo lifestyle and they were like oh if this isn't sparking joy then you know you get rid of it and then and i was just like no and then all of a sudden, like now that happened. And I'm just like, we won. We won. Yeah. <laughs> like, before- because you never know when that thing may spark joy again. I remember my sister-in-law yelling at like the kids and my mom and my brother and everybody's like, where are the spatulas? We had like seven spatulas. And finally, my mom said, yes. And you guys Marie condoed and you got rid of all of them. So you have no spatulas now. <laughs> so then they had to go out and buy a new spatula. <laughs> because that's the insanity of Marie Kondo. But that's not yeah. what we're doing today. We're not talking about spatulas. I don't think we'll ever talk about spatulas, yeah, to be probably honest. Not. Probably not. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to shoehorn it in at some point later in the episode. We'll see how it goes. We'll see, yeah. <laughs> it's a mission now. <laughs> what are we talking about? We're, I mean, well, go ahead. I was going to, I was going to make a joke that we're going to talk about the Flash movie, but we're not. So only oh, I was going to, I, seen... I was going to, I was going to make ahead. a joke and say, we're going to talk about the greatest comic book movie of all time, which is not the Flash. <laughs> <laughs> you don't know. You haven't seen it. I've seen it. I'm um, not going to see it. You can't. No um, one can make me. I haven't even seen a trailer for it. Anytime I'm at the theater and it comes on, I'm like, "Great, bathroom break, last chance." <laughs> it's you're okay. You know, I'll tell here. I'll give you a review. I know your taste pretty well. The Ezra of it aside, ignoring all the Ezra, you wouldn't have cared anyway. You honestly wouldn't have. It's you yeah. know, it's is it bad? No, it's fine. Is it great? No, it's fine. It's it is my review of the Flash movie is this is what you were staking everything on, David Zaslav. Like this is the one because I'm not complaining about it. There were things that I really enjoyed. There were parts that I thought, oh, that's good. Even the Ezra, you know, setting aside, you know, the author is dead, setting aside the personal life issues of Ezra Miller. Ezra was fine in the film. They were fine. They will not be winning an Oscar, but nor will it be a Razzie. It was fine. And the plot was okay. And everybody who's like, well, this is the greatest movie since the dark Knight." It is not, it is a mediocre superhero movie. I had fun while I was there. And then there's, you know, there's some stuff to point at because you know how we, you know, if you like your nostalgia member berries, there's some really good nostalgia member berries. And then there's not an overabundance of them. It's not like, hey, every scene of this is pointing at something, but it's fine. <laughs> it's yeah. just, it's fine. So, so if I want to go see a movie that like is likely to be fine, I'm dragging myself. I will eventually drag myself out of the house work. No, I was going to say I'm going to go see Elemental this weekend. Oh, OK, <laughs> like, oh. If, you know, like, like there are two movies that are well more than two but two bigger movies coming out this weekend and the other one's the pixar movie elemental so i'll go see that which you know 
I don't ex- I do not expect it to compete the Flash box office wise. But then again, I don't expect the Flash to make a ton of money box office wise. So it's gonna be it's gonna be it's not gonna bomb. It's not gonna it's this is not a Top Gun. I'll put it that way. It, it's gonna be it's gonna be it's gonna make some money. Money uh, being the key. Yeah, it's you know I don't know I don't I don't know that it's going to save me in our box office game. I'm worried about our box office game. I'm gonna make a I'm gonna make a hot prediction. It's gonna make less than Black Adam by the end of its run. Oh no, no, it's gonna be better than that. It <laughs> is basically no, it's better than that. It's far not, it will do but it will it's worth seeing. No one wanted to see Black Adam. People will want this is good enough that it's going to review positively enough that it's going to certainly outpace Black Adam in my yeah, we'll know. see. It's not, but it's not gonna be we're not shiny. I mean, I've seen both films and I'm not sugarcoating either of them. It's this is fine. <laughs> I mean, there are some interesting things to point out that I'll say off air. I don't want to do spoilers, but anyway, because right. we are doing yeah. spoilers on something else that is also a pointing movie. I guess I was, that's my attempt at the segue. So, what are we talking about? We're talking about the greatest comic book movie of the summer, which is Spider Man Across the Spider Verse, which explains <laughs> why I'm here after a night <laughs> of catching drywall. <laughs> yeah, I mean. I applaud you for being tired and still coming. Yeah, I'm impressed that you actually did manage to get out and see it. I was, I mean, because you and you saw it pretty soon. I thought you were, I thought you'd be like weeks late. So we are, yeah, yeah it's, yeah. I don't, re- I don't remember what we were doing, but I was exhausted from doing it. And I was like, yeah, so let's take three hours and just <laughs> go see the movie I really want to see. And okay. so we went, we went at noon. On mm-hmm. opening weekend on a Sunday, very few people were there. You know, wore a mask, sat in the most ventilated area of the theater. AMC actually does like pretty good ventilation now. And like, it was like a pretty quiet showing for like a weekend where all the other showings, because I looked, because I'm a weirdo on the AMC app, like were pretty much sold out. So I don't know how I did that and got like my semi private <laughs> showing, but I did. And it was wonderful. And I needed the privacy because I just cried for like two and a half hours straight. Wayne, what about you? You've seen the film as well. Yeah. yeah. I say I, no. Yeah, yep. No, Marcel and I went last Saturday afternoon. A small neighborhood there. We went up to the manor in Squirrel Hill. So we went to rather than one of the big plexes. So there's just you know, far less people in general, which was a good yeah, choice. That means something to me and no one else. But yeah. Right. Yeah, yeah exactly. Yeah. But yeah so I didn't go to it one of the, the giant theaters that was crowded. Mm-hmm. I guess we'll, we'll talk about more detail, but yeah, in general, I liked it a lot. Yeah. So uh, I mean, I, I did the first one and you expected that with this one. I think they, they delivered. Yeah. So as always with one of these kinds of episodes, I guess we should warn everybody that this is going to be spoilerific. We are going to spoil the fuck out of this movie because it's been two weeks as we record, which is, you know, even later than we normally do when we, a, a, you know, a spoiler episode when we do a blockbuster. So I think it's okay. So yep. here's your last chance playing the spoiler warning. Spoiler alert. Okay. So, yeah, I liked it. I liked it a lot. I've been seeing I've been seeing a lot of chatter on it and I've seen it twice now. I saw it I saw it the preview night and then I saw it again this week with Stephanie cuz she she wanted to see it. And I was really excited to see it cuz people were buzzing about it a lot and I definitely enjoyed myself. 
but the buzz I was seeing ahead of time, and this is when I decided I definitely had to see it opening night or like I said, preview night even was because at one point I was actually tired and there was a late night showing. I'm like, do I want to go or do I want to sit here and just watch TV? And the top three videos in my feed for YouTube were all variations on will across the spider verse win best picture as well as best animated feature at the Oscars. And I'm sitting, I didn't watch those at first because I'm like, I don't want any spoilers, but I just saw that. And I was just like, almost certainly not. Yeah, right. <laughs> so, yeah. so, yeah. so, so I was like, but like, if people are going to be talking about it, I decided I wanted to go. I went, I very much enjoyed myself. No, it will not be winning best picture. I think it's got a good shot at best animated, but we'll see. I haven't seen elemental yet, you know? So what did you guys think? About it winning best picture? Or that, or just liking, I mean, I assume you liked yeah. it because you said, oh, but I loved it. Yeah. But you're right. It will not win best picture, but like, that's also partially to do with like the Academy and what wins. But no, I don't think it will be like considered the best film of the year, except just in terms of people's enjoyment of it, which is like people were different. Handled. No, people. I mean, people. Like, it's for some people, it's going to be their top film of the year. Oh, sure. I haven't seen like all the films of the like. I I have a lot of films I'm excited about. You can see my box office list Mm -hmm. for those films because I pick them by like, well, for the most part, I pick them by how excited I was. I'm not going to lie, I wasn't that excited about Book Club Two, although I think the first (laughs) one is more enjoyable than you'd expect. But Mm -hmm. I think like you know, it'll make some top ten lists. Like, it'll it'll. I think it's likely this will win best animated film. Yeah, there's a couple other options, but it's, I mean, it's going to be, I mean, obviously the Pixar movie is always going to be a contender, right? And so that, so there's that the previous one, won best animated film. I think this, so one of the things that I was seeing was a lot of, cause I actually did go back and watch a lot of people's reviews online. And a lot of people were like, oh, well, it's a shoe in for best animated because it pushes animation farther than anything has before. And it does. But I don't know if it pushes animation as far as the previous one does, which is to say, I think that I can see the improvements over over the first film. But I think the first film was such a, you know, a leap from where animation was at that time to where people were like, Oh my God, I've never seen anything like this before to where this one is like, it's that like the last one, but better. Yeah. <laughs> and so like, yeah. you know, you see what I'm saying? It's not yeah. like, I, I think it's an improvement, but I think we're going from, I think we're going to a 20% improvement from what was a 200% improvement. But like, that, I do say like the artistry in this. Yes. I agree. Like so like, like the, I mean, people have talked about this, so I know I'm not saying the new, but like the, the way that like each world had like a different art style, yes, like and it mm. and, and like how like the colors and like the settings around like the characters would shift based on like their mood or the themes, just the like it's just be- beautiful and like the like I, I've seen a lot of like analysis analyses on like Twitter and like other articles about like the cultural specificity of like certain spider people mm-hmm. and like how that was integrated into the animation. And like what, I mean, this is just 
cool. Like one, like the Lego sequence was animated by like a high schooler. Hey, not so even. Like, well, he's in high school now. He wasn't yeah. when he got the job. 14, 14 years old had done a just in his spare time using Blender, uh, free software on the internet, just animated a version of the first movie in Lego artwork. And Lord and Miller saw it and they were like, hey, kid, want a job? You'll wow. We'll just, we'll just put you because he, I mean, he just did a faithful recreation of the first film. Not, I mean, like a two minute segment and just put it yeah. on his YouTube channel because he thought this would be a fun way to learn Blender. And Lord and Miller were like, yeah, that's great. We can just put you in the next movie if you like. And, yeah, we'll, and so we'll he, pay you to do this. Yeah. So, so that's how he got it. So, you know, pretty awesome. Better job than I had when I was 14. So. Yep. <laughs> and just like, I, so I, I think like this movie is art. Like Josh and I walked out of the theater and Josh said that it is maybe the prettiest thing I've ever seen. And I can't really say I disagree with him with some of the sequences. Like, I I thought it was beautiful. I mean, you can disagree based on this. Yeah, yeah. But like, it, I thought it was beautiful too. Like, I, I mean, like Gwyn's world especially. I really loved how like, and I think like two other people have said this, but it really like the first movie. It really felt like more of like the comic book feel was mm-hmm. like on the screen. I mean, like you just lose something when it comes to like live action, right? Like mm-hmm. you you can't quite capture like what a comic book looks like because it's quote real. But like I felt like you know some of this was like lifted straight out of like comic book pages, and it probably was. I just uh, not- some was, but also yeah. so one of the things that I liked about it was I thought they moved. Whereas the first one was really trying to get a comic booky feel. The first one was, look, here's Miles. He's drawn in ultimate style. Here is when she's more of the heroic age style is what Marvel calls it. And then we'll toss Peter, who's, you know, got more of a Ditko flair to him. And then we'll give, you know, we'll toss in Spider-Man Noir. We'll go Penny and Manga, Ham and Cartoony. And like that was mm-hmm. the thing. There was a little bit of that there, but not exactly. So one of the things that I found interesting is the aesthetics that were used in this film in particular for Spider-Man India and Spider-Punk are not the aesthetics that are used in their comic books at all. Right. In fact, in fact, Spider-Punk's costume is similar, but Spider-Man India, totally different looking. Yeah, there's, yeah. A char- yeah. there's a character named Spider-Man India and he's Spider-Man with puffy pants. Like that. It, yeah. This is a completely different look. I mean, same character name, but yeah. it is a completely different look. And it worked because it felt like Bollywood. It felt mm-hmm. culturally appropriate. It was good. Spider Punk, I loved, particularly. There were, oh, I'll talk about it more later. Later, I want to let you guys finish your thoughts on the cultural aspect of the animation. But like, there were just aspects of his animation style in particular, which. I read up one after I wa- after I saw it, and then I realized what, the first time, and I was yeah, like, "Cause this, this is, it really stood out." And then I went back and looked for it, and uh, I understand why it stands out now. Yeah, well, I, some of that is the collage, the you know band posters, the collage thing that went on, mm-hmm. which felt from, mm-hmm. yeah, which felt British, yeah, mm-hmm. very much so. Let me be clear: like when I say like it feels pulled from a comic, what I'm talking about yeah. is like how the background will like sometimes like fade or become more abstract. Or, yeah. yeah and stuff like that like i know that like there there are differences from the comics but like there there's just like 
the ability to stage things in mm-hmm. ways that you just can't, you know, in live action. And the like some of the like sequences just really took advantage, I feel, of you know, you mean- spider people and yeah. how like they can move. And like like when Gwen and Miles are like going through the city and then eventually like end up upside down. I know that the upside down is a lot of people's you know favorite <laughs> shot. Like I'm seeing a lot of people use it as like backgrounds and stuff. But, like it's just so good like the movie was so good there's a little detail with the upside downness when when they first go to miguel's dimension they are when they first go there and they teleport in and then they're riding the elevator down to miguel's lair and then you pan outside the elevator and you see that they're actually going up and then you pan back in you see they're upside down you can tell because the entire time Gwen's ponytail is pointing up. Yeah. It's little details like that make it. Mm. Like she, like she, like you earlier in the film, when she and Miles are sitting upside down on the ledge, her ponytail hangs down. So when yeah. they're in the elevator, her ponytail is hanging up again. It's little, te- little details like that just really make the film. There was just so much going on screen. I sat there wishing I had the pause button just so I could. So I've seen it twice now and I, you know, I look forward to when I can, you know, when I can buy the Blu-ray and I can actually sit down and and pause it. Because I did, I was spending a lot of time, you know, the first time I'm just like absorbing it and getting the story and the wonder of it. But when I went to see it the second time with Steph, who's not going to be pointing at stuff because she doesn't know who any of the characters are. She's just enjoying it for the story. That's when I was going through looking for, okay, I see who that is. I see who that is. I see who that is. But it's also where I was really analyzing and trying to figure out what was going on with Spider-Punk's animation, which I knew more of. So in the first movie, do you guys know what animating on the twos is? Have you heard this? Do you know what they're? Okay. So if you don't. So the way animation works is animation is typically X frames per second, 24. You can do whatever you want, but like 24, if you do 24 frames per second, and which is what I'm going to use because that's a standard, you flip through 24 frames of animation every second. And if you want to make animation cheaper because you're, say, doing like a G.I. Joe in the 80s, you know, and you're trying to save money, you can do what we call animating on the twos, which is instead of moving the character every frame, you move the character every other frame and it's a little choppier, but the human brain more or less knits, knits it together. Fine. It in. It's yeah. fine. It's, you know, like I said, it's fine. It's not as good. Pixar would, would never. <laughs> like, no, we, we would never, right? But for Spider-Verse 1, for Into the Spider-Verse, they did a thing where all of the characters move at regular animation speed, except Miles when he first gets bitten starts animating on the twos and as the and he does up until the point where he becomes good at being spider-man and embraces it and jumps off the and jumps off the glass building and all that you know his leap of faith Mm. up until then miles is animated on the twos meaning he only moves every other frame while peter and gwen and penny like they're all moving at regular speed and it gives miles kind of a weird choppy he doesn't quite fit in look to Mm. him and it's but it's weirdly imperceptible, except for once you know it's there, if you go back and watch the first movie, you'll say, Oh, okay, I see it now. Cause he he staggers in a way that like Peter doesn't. And so it's and it's just weird, particularly when they're swinging together. Cause he's mm-hmm. like, it makes him look like he's a little behind all the time. 
you know, that part where Peter's teaching them how to web swing. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So in this movie, Miles is good at being Spider-Man. So he animates on the ones like everybody else. Every every frame he move animates until he ends up in the spider universe and is not part of the team. And then he goes back to animating on the twos again to hmm. show how rejected he is from them. So that's interesting. And it was all interesting until I realized why is Hobie a spider punk so screwed up? Mm. Because Hobie is animated on the threes, which nobody fucking does. It's just weird. Because it, what it means is, since with Miles, Miles just seems a little too choppy because he moves every other frame. But Hobie moves every third frame, which means sometimes he moves when other people do. He's and sometimes he doesn't. And it's out weird. Of sync. It just makes him completely out of sync mm-hmm. with everyone in the movie. And it absolutely works. It absolutely just yeah. gives yeah. him his own vibe of I do not fit in. And it's and it kind of gives you his aspect. You know, it's parts of his character that are so well thought through. And it's like, oh, OK, he is not part of this from the very beginning, because it's from the very first time you see him. His animation style is off and you can and it and, you know, and he does the things like where, you know, I don't believe in this. I don't believe in that. I don't believe in mm-hmm. comedy. That's whole that's part of his whole shtick is he is just not in sync with anybody else and is never going to be. And it absolutely makes his character work. So those are little details that like made me think that's why I think they deserve the best animated feature, because it's like, OK, you thought about that. You are using yeah. the science of animation yeah. as part of the story. Yeah. And that is interesting to me in a way that like, I don't think I don't think anybody else would ever think to do that because it comes it becomes really weird in big scenes where everybody is running and Hobie just has to be complete. Hobie and Miles have to be out of step with everybody else, but differently out of step. That's mm-hmm. a hard thing to pull off. So it composites together. Yeah. It's really interesting. Also, the I know we're talking about animation specifically, but, you know, like like some of the best animated pictures are not just because they're beautifully animated, but because of like the heart and like, the narrative and the characterization. Mm-hmm. And my yeah, sure. God, this felt like the, I feel like I was watching a, an older superhero film in some ways, because mm. y- y- you all might have heard me talk about Spider-Man to the Raimi movie way too much mm. in my love for it. But like, you know, like the Marvel movies, and I like them overall, as everyone knows, because I have been on many episodes where we break down in game or insert Marvel movie here, like Eternals, which I'll defend until I die. Um, <laughs> Eternally. Yeah, I, that's uh-huh. what I should have gone with. <laughs> but like, you know, I feel like a lot of, you know, Marvel movies, and we've talked about this before, so I'm not saying anything that I think anyone on this episode disagrees with they like have to have like action sequence here action sequence here joke here fast pace, quick editing and it's not just marvel like there's a big difference between like original star wars and like prequel star wars much less like sequel series star wars sure because of just how like modern Don't movies to be paced mm-hmm. you know and so like like spider-man 2 even like just feels totally different than an mcu movie because like there are like moments where characters just sit there and talk Mm-hmm. which is good i like that mm-hmm. we've talked before about how like some of our favorite moments in superhero stories no matter the medium are just like the characters doing normal everyday things 
And like, mm-hmm. I felt like this movie really kind of got back to that. Like so many of the sequences were people talking and it, mm-hmm. and they also like, I think, you know, I've made the argument defending Eternals that like some of the action sequences were tied to like a theme or a character, even if they weren't like super well done. I think this movie masters what some of the Marvel MCU movies like don't quite get like the action sequences like weren't just thrown in like they had a point that was beyond like action it was like here is like a narrative theme here is like a connection to the character um it it both like made sense that was like over two hours because of all like the conversations the characters had in the moments between parents and children for example but also it like went by so fast like i i just like kept watching and soaking it in and then it just ended and i was like but i want more now <laughs> wait how did you feel about it same Pacing-wise? yes i yeah no yeah i i thought they they spent you know the character stuff, as Han was saying, is always important. Like, you know, with I get bored with the giant fight scenes. They look cool, but, you know, like, yeah, I've seen these. I've read a lot of comics with giant fight scenes. And I kind of feel the same way there. You know, let's mm-hmm. get back to the characterization. And I like the time they spent with the characters, just you know, them sitting and talking and getting their I, you know, backstory isn't exactly the right word, but you know, giving some meaning to all the chaos of the fight scenes and the million spider people running around and you know, all of that stuff. And that that's important. For me, Miles introduces Gwen to his parents is maybe my favorite superhero movie movie moment in as long as I can remember. <laughs> just the massive, you know, the massive awkwardness of, okay, this isn't my girlfriend, but I want it to be. So I need you guys mm. to like her, but please don't fucking embarrass me. Cause I'm 15 and you could ruin my life is like, it, right. it is so palpable. And I loved yeah. every second of yeah. it. I loved little details. Like, cause Gwen likes him too. And it's also dealing with it poorly. Mm. And then when she's like, no, calls both of his parents by their first names which they hate which they right. just said they little details like that yes. i loved every, i mean and there's nothing superhero-y about it like okay yeah. sure they also have that but that's what i want to see i love the subtext of from the second they're stealing hot dogs to eat there to when his parents come up all the way through to where you know after jeff leaves in rio miles's mom's like okay you're still grounded but you know dude, go after the girl. You can go after Mm -hmm. the girl now. Like that is a mom under like the mom understanding, not just that she has to let him go. Cause she says she's looking for him to grow up. She understands that. Right. Mm -hmm. So she has, she has that speech with him about growing up, but she also just sees that my son's in love here and I need to let him go have this experience. Even though for, from her mind, this is a first girlfriend. It's meaningless. Like he knows, but she knows how important it is to him. And that, like that felt so real to me. And to me, that's the most important moment of the film that there are other moments like that too. Like mm. I, I also like when miles and Gwen have their heart to heart when they're sitting upside down, that the scene Hannah talked yeah. about before. But the one for me was the four of them having that conversation of, because even Jeff who hates being called by his first name, he wants to be Lieutenant Mor- Morales, right? He wants them to, he wants the respect, but he also 
knows that he needs to not ruin this for his son. And it is so awkward and perfect. And I love every second of it. If I got tired of anything and more so the second time I could have, you know, I, the chase, I understand why it's there, but the chase scene dominates a lot of screen time and it's kind of fun to look at and point stuff, but watching it in the theater the second time, I kind of enjoyed it less because I think I would enjoy it more if I could pause it and look at stuff. But mm. but just watching it a second time, it goes on a real long time, a real long time of people moving through really fast and not being able to identify them and not being able. And it's it doesn't. I'll tell you where it's different. It reminded me of Endgame, Endgame and who which has the Perez scene, as we like to call it, Lane, where the right. you know, the giant battle at the end where everybody comes running and you see all your favorite characters interacting. And what makes Endgame battle there work for me is not that it's live action. It's that I know who every one of those characters are Mm -hmm. and I care about them. And like, I, like, I, like I care about, even though Endgame is a movie about really about six Avengers. I like being able to go. I like being able to go through that final battle and go, look back there. There's Shuri. Shuri's doing something in the back. And then yeah. look, and there's a mantis and there's Korg. Wow, Korg's in this movie. That's right. awesome. You know, you know, like yeah. he, he, I like being able to do that. He's in the distance, well, but it's and, cool that Korg's there because I care. Because we've ben met Riley? all the, you know, we've met all those yeah. characters. Yeah. <laughs> right. And here I'm like, Ben Riley and Spider yeah. UK. I know who those people are because I've been reading comic books for 40 years, but mm-hmm. like I'm not like they didn't earn that in this movie. Yeah. Um, yeah. And it's They're, fine. It's fine. It's neat. But it, it that's where I that's where it slowed me down to where I was just like, I don't know. And I didn't ask Steph. I like Steph didn't complain about it because she doesn't know who any of those people are. Mm-hmm. But I think the spectacle of it and the story was good enough to where it kept her entertained for mm-hmm. that. It's a solid 10 minutes. It's a long it's a long time on screen, which is with just miles running from people and drawing a billion different variations of Spider-Man. Mm. And like you say, there's no emotional investment in any right. of them. Right. It's um, just like, uh, like the amazing bag man is in there and I'm like, Oh, right. that's neat. Right. But like, yeah. that's what, like, like, although the, the Peter Park car was that, that, that was a moment. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And things like that. yeah. Things like that. But it's just like, it's hard. It's not the same yeah. as having emotional investment. So that would be like my nitpicky criticism of it. But, also, I think this will make the film a lot more fun to watch, you know, on streaming or mm. DVD because I will be able to step through it one frame at a time and go. Well, uh, so I'll just oh, segue into Spider-Man from What If number forty-seven. Right? <laughs> yeah, I want to. I want to be able to do that. I want to be able to do that. So, speaking of all that about stepping through, and this is one thing I don't know if I can do, but I try to pay really close attention this second time, and I'm pretty sure I'm right. Nobody in Spider Universe is a symbiote Spider Man. There are n- yeah, yeah. I, I, I didn't notice. Looking. Yeah, I didn't notice any. Yes. But there's yeah. a lot going on. So now symbiote, right. yeah, symbiote Spider Man does exist. Now they've gone to you know Spot goes to Tom Hardy Venom's universe briefly. So there, so symbiotes exist. And when they're looking at canon events in the web. One of the possible canon events that Miguel shows is Spider-Man getting the symbiote suit and rejecting the symbiote suit. Mm-hmm. You see, so you know symbiote suits exist in reality somewhere that that they're aware of. But it is a very obvious 
occlusion to where I assume it's going to be in the third movie because how do you not have a black suit spider? Now there are Spider-Men with black suits that are there, but they are not the Venom suit. Right. Yeah. Yeah. You're saying, but maybe they're trying to tell a different story. Yeah. I mean, we had the black, I mean, it was the symbiote from secret wars, but it didn't become Venom for what, three, four years. So there, there's a lot of black suit Spider-Man stories out there. And it's Um, come back. And there's also, even in the comics, there's a whole, from her reality, Gwen handles the symbiote way better. Mm-hmm. And like yeah. it, in in the comics, anyway, the, to where Gwen can control the symbiote and has a much better relationship with it than Peter ever had. And you also have theoretically, you should have a Flash Thompson, which is just friends with a symbiote and just has a you know and trains it to be a hero. Like that's a mm-hmm. you know that is part of the storyline that Lord and Miller are certainly aware of. And yeah, it seemed, yeah. Uh, it seemed absent not just not just not there but it seemed notable by its absence to Mm. where i assume it's going to be a part of the third movie especially since we went to venom's universe specifically and because sony has such a hard-on for wanting the spider-man universe thing to happen like these are their only successful films but they're i mean well venom's moderately successful but there was a morbius joke in this film and yet there was no venom suit. So, <laughs> so like I feel like it's gotta be there. I, I don't necessarily disagree with you, but I feel like there's also an alternate universe where it's just not there because they mm-hmm. want to focus like I wonder if this is kind of like the infinity war of this trilogy in the sense that it's like zoom out, look at all mm-hmm. these spider people. Mm-hmm. Like we briefly see people like Sun Spider, but we don't spend a lot of time with them, but we spend some time with like certain new characters like Hobie, for mm-hmm. instance. And so like at the very end of this film, Gwen puts together a team to, you know, go save Miles. And it mm-hmm. feels like it like, brings back some characters from the first movie we didn't really see in this movie, like Spider-Man Noir. Mm-hmm. So I feel like maybe like the focus in the third movie could return to like, the you know, core team from like the first movie and some of the new characters who got to focus in the second movie. And also, like, they have to deal with Miles as the Prowler. Yeah. Alt, like, Alt-Miles as the Prowler. And, mm-hmm. like, the spot is still, like, lingering in the background. Which, like, what a cool, like, use of a random villain. Yeah, like, yeah, yeah. completely <laughs> random. Yeah. Yeah. No one has called Spot cool in 30 years. So, yeah, ever. <laughs> yeah, ever. <laughs> Like, I was, I thought he was gonna, like, from watching the trailers, I was like, surely, like, this is just, like, a minor, like, fight they're showing us, mm, and no. he's not gonna figure, like, into this movie at but, all. But tying the concept of what that character is into what this movie is, that, yeah, you know, host, it makes complete sense. I mean, it, it's, tying, it's tying a his brilliant use. Into it, too. Into it, too. Like, the fact that, yeah. the, the fact that the inciting incident really is that Miles will not take him seriously, and yeah. that bugs them. Yeah, I, love so I yeah, I want to talk some about that whole idea of can events, and because we've talked a lot about continuity and canon and what that means in comics and movies, and I found that to be a really interesting part of this. That whole idea of you know, violating canon destroys yeah. things. You've destroyed my childhood, not my Spider-Man. You know. Don't make fun and of I, me, Wayne. Yeah, no. <laughs> like, no, sorry, sorry. Just to explain yeah. people who are not Wayne and Mav, I haven't read a Spider-Man comic since Brand New Day. 
I feel solid in that. And by Spider-Man, I mean Peter Parker. Well, and, and we all have those tendencies. You know, we all do that. We have our own mm-hmm. headcan of who these characters are. And I get that idea of, you know, an Uncle Ben or something like that mm-hmm. dies, that, you know, a, a Captain Stacy dies or Ooh. a Gwen Stacy dies or whatever. But, you know, Miles not being a part of that story and that making him the yeah. anomaly, I find that kind of fascinating because it's in some ways, you know, he's fighting against that thing that we've talked about of the all importance, it- the yeah. Just the serious and all importance of continuity for so many people. And the fact that he violates that concept is what makes him an anomaly. I find it fascinating, except, well, and I'm Lord and Miller have earned my patience mm-hmm. to where I think they're going somewhere that yeah. it's a lie. Here's my problem with it. My, and because the most fascinating thing from the first movie to me is because I wasn't expecting it. When Uncle Aaron dies, when the Prowler dies, and I'll even quote, I'll quote Kevin Smith's podcast as best I can remember it. I wasn't planning this, but from back when that came out, he said, he said, you know, he's like, I'm a writer. I've written movies and comic books and I didn't see that coming. And then the second I thought and second it happened, he goes, of course it happened because, you know, your uncle has to die. That's how you make a Spider-Man. Mm-hmm. And he's right. Like, yeah. like what makes the Spider-Man oh, yeah. is is not getting bitten by the spider. Right. It's the learning that your mistakes could mm-hmm. cost, you know, could cost the loved one right. their life. Being With Spider-Man. Yeah. Being Spider-Man's about guilt. So like so, so, so Miles isn't really there. Who is really there? Fucking Miguel. Miguel doesn't have any other is it like really part of this world like Gwen's part of this world Peter's part of this world Miles is part of this world in this way so I think that I think we're going to learn in the third one so okay I also know in the comics Miguel's origin is very different Miguel injects himself gives himself spider powers sort of intentionally and you see that in this film briefly they show he doesn't talk about it, but they show his origin and they show him in Jeff. Yeah. So like, I assume that still holds and it wasn't just mm-hmm. a moment, but also well, Miguel says that he, I replaced another me, a right, me that died. Yeah. So Miguel is, and he, and Miguel calls miles mm-hmm. the original anomaly, but yeah. miles isn't Miguel is Miguel yeah. is an anomaly first. So, and so a question I came out of that with is, okay. So the spider, the uh, miles is from a different universe. Mm-hmm. Who was supposed to be Spider-Man in Miles's universe? Right. Is there a spider there the, waiting spider- to bite somebody? No, there's not. It's, no, uh, no, but Spider-Man, like, like Chris Pine Spider-Man was Spider-Man. No, in in Miles's universe, yeah, oh yeah, in Miles's universe, Chris Pine Spider-Man was Spider-Man. Okay, but the but nobody becomes the Spider-Man in, in Universe Forty Two. The internet right. seems to think that spider was supposed to bite Miles Forty Two, like who, and he didn't. Mm-hmm. So Miles becomes the Prowler, but I don't know that there's a reason to believe that I, I don't there it could be you know maybe it is but maybe not i do want to interject here because i you know because i mean yeah. I, I did have to go back and watch the first film because one thing yeah you know, i saw people talking about wow it's so great the ways they wove the previous, they wove this into the previous film because they couldn't have known they were going to have the sequel in it ah they did and here's why i went back and watched the previous film and the spider that bites Miles, it glitches. It glitches, yeah. It glitches. Yeah. So they knew that Spider 42 wasn't from Miles' universe okay. when they filmed it, like when they made the first movie five years ago. And that's impressive. 
Yeah. <laughs> that I, just did it for me. I was like, okay, good for good gut, good work. Yeah, canon events. I mean, I feel like I I am just the internet because I felt like walking out of this movie <laughs> that the canon event thing also could potentially be a, and also again, this is just probably me projecting my feelings onto Lord and Miller. This could be like a commentary too on Marvel comics and like not specifically about Peter Parker's storyline or at least you know the Peter the Peter we focus on Peter B Parker because Marvel comics has had a history of just like not knowing what to do with Peter Parker after a certain point when he like gets married <laughs> or like has kids or whatever like insert like adult thing here like yeah there's all like you know like there's I mean even the, the movies like the movies like have rebooted Mm-hmm. At a certain point, because like Peter like gets kind of old. I mean, there's other like factors, but like mm-hmm. Peter gets old, reboot high school, and so like it's it was really gratifying to me to see Peter and Mary Jane like have Mayday and like be happy, and like we don't get mm-hmm. a, like a long sequence of them together, but it was just like really like nice to like see their relationship yes. in like like represented in this way. They're like, really schlubby suburb suburbers. Yeah, yeah, yeah and, and just, like, just fine. Like I like that. I like that about them. And it really builds on the first film where it kind of was like a better version of some of the messy comic stories where like Peter and Mary Jane had broken up and they were separated. And the story builds on like why that was and how Peter had changed from his encounter with Miles and how he actually could be happy if he just like let himself or the writers, depending on who you blame. But just like let himself be happy, and it was it like it, I think like I've, I've I think I've whined about this before. Like the reason why, to some degree, I think like the comics drive me a bit nuts, or like any long running like serial thing is like they, they, there's a constant need to create ridiculous drama because mm-hmm. they don't know what to do, but the story must go on, and you keep people coming back. So the answer is to not let people be happy and like necessarily have relationships develop organically and problems arise from that. It's like breakup. Mm-hmm. Introduced to some guy named Paul, apparently. Yeah. Uh, talking about yeah. Current, the current continuity, which yeah. is oddly more interesting than you'd think it would be, but it's not great. It's yeah. more interesting than you. They've clearly got something going and to where I think this is more the current continuity, I think, is trying to be more of a commentary on the thing that you're complaining about than anything else it's been in, i was surprised at how i am interested in it while it i think it's trying to comment on the thing that you're talking about but it still largely has that point and you know i don't know if anybody knows what we're talking about because we're talking comics instead I mean, of movies i barely yes. know what we're talking about because i'm just referencing like the occasional thing i see because right like Grey's anatomy i've given up on comic right. like <laughs> new comics peter parker which is I guess I, I'm the person who you did an episode about last week about fans who hate their own fandom mm-hmm. because <laughs> uh, Peter Parker is the character I've been attacked. Like, I don't remember a time where I didn't love Peter Parker, mm-hmm. like the nineties Spider-Man TV show. I, I've been rewatching it cause I discovered it was on Disney plus and like young me, like single digit, like baby me would have been like thrilled. <laughs> that I had a device that I can just carry around and I can watch my favorite show anytime I want. Cause like the first time I remember being a brat is my parents were like, we have to go get the VCR repaired. And I was like, but it's Saturday. Spider-Man's coming on. Like, <laughs> and they were like, well, 
we can't we can't record it and they were like well we're not leaving you home alone i was like but i'll miss spider-man <laughs> <laughs> have you seen spider-man and his amazing friends a little bit yeah Okay, because I think you would like that. So it's weird because and I don't think he was there. They had the 1960s Spider-Man was explicitly in this movie, but I don't know if the Spider-Man and his amazing friend Spider-Man was, but it's hard to tell because I, yeah, yeah. Like I said, we can't pause in the theater. Um, right. I think you there wasn't a whole, wasn't a lot to distinguish him from the others. Right. Costume wise. More, or more detail in his costume. His the Peter Parker look was very distinctive mm-hmm. and is in fact, well, I should, it's very much the Peter Parker from that series is like sort of my definitive look on Peter Parker. And it is very much, I would say, and when you might agree with me, I'd say that the 1980s amazing friends, Peter Parker is very much the Peter that was envisioned by John Romita senior who we should comment on just because we're yes, talking about it right. died two days ago as we record this. So, yeah. so, you know, he's one longtime Spider-Man artist, not the creator of Spider-Man. That would be Stan Lee and Steve Ditko and sort of kind of Kirby, but not really, but long run and long so, run. so defined the, the ongoing look. looks of those characters. Right. And when he was done, fast forward several years and then his son, John Romita Jr., got to do it it's one of yeah. the they are one of the common dynasties mind, yeah in my mind between the two of them they're for me the definitive looks of spider-man yeah probably the only other person who could and i who could really fit in there the only two other people who are probably mentioned as often or probably mm-hmm. more often but would be steve ditko who is the creator of the look and a very and different style yeah and todd mcfarland but for me, the Ramitas, junior and senior, are the look of Spider-Man. <laughs> and and I think that the 1980s television series definitely has that look. The cartoon series. Yeah. Yeah. I'll, I, those might have to fall off a truck and into Hannah's. Hannah's. I think you'd like them. <laughs> and I have access to them. So, <laughs> like, I think you would enjoy the world of. Spider-Man, Firestar, Iceman. <laughs> so, so just as a sidebar here, many years ago, I, I did an interview article for a local publication on Ron Friends, who drew Spider-Man for years, mm-hmm. who I've known for years, and the title of the article, Spider-Man and His Amazing Friends. Surprised as hell, oh. I'd never seen that title used any place before when people were talking huh. to him about it. <laughs> so, yeah. <laughs> sidebar over. Yeah. <laughs> so I'm weird on it. Like I enjoyed the movie a lot. I think as far as, you know, this is why I think it can't win dust picture aside from the fact that like the Academy is just not going to give it to an animated superhero movie. That's just like yeah. dreaming. But, but people were saying, well, it's the shoe in to be nominated. And I don't even know that it's the shoe in to be nominated no. because it's got a, like, I understand why Hannah likes it, but Hannah is, you know, admittedly coming through this with, she's already biased in favor of the character. I enjoyed it with less bias for the character, though I do enjoy the character and I enjoy superhero movies. I enjoyed the non-superhero-ness of it a lot, but the film definitely suffers from Empire Strikes Back Titus. That is true. Empire Empire is my favorite of those movies, but it's a movie with a very unsatisfying ending. (laughs) And Lion and Fast 10. And doesn't make sense if you haven't seen the first one. Right, right. It is. And this very much wants to be 
part of a saga and that's not what the academy does <laughs> with one exception and that was godfather 2 like i don't yeah. even think i don't even think lord i don't even think lord. return of the king is like return of the king i get why it won and i think return of the king is more of a full movie than this is even though i enjoy this movie far more than i like return of the king so i was yeah i was going to say return of the king was yeah I, yes i mean like it I will say this movie has a full emotional arc. Yes, it has a full yes. emotional yeah. arc. Yes. And, but not a full story arc. And that's yes. what and makes I, it weird. Yeah, I don't. And I don't. I'm not arguing that it should be nominated for Best Picture, nor am I arguing that it will be for all the aforementioned reasons. But it does have a very like satisfying emotional arc if you know you follow Gwen's story. And also, by the way, did anyone else like while saying through this film did anyone just think like the entire time this is extremely queer coded like this is extremely queer coded like yeah. like well, the tra- the tra- she has the trans flag sign and this is uh, this is the thing that the uh, that the right-wing people are always like, oh you're trying to push your liberal agenda on this movie is trying to push its liberal agenda on you and you know good for them i enjoyed it yeah, uh, <laughs> and not in a gross way. Not in a. No. I mean, I don't mean a gross. Like I would never find it gross anyway. I'm. I am perfectly okay with it. But it is just a. This is a film. I saw some people theorizing that. Oh, are they trying to say Gwen is trans? I don't think so. And I actually kind of hope they're not because I would prefer Gwen is a staunch ally who believes in doing the right thing, even if it does not personally affect her. <laughs> that's, yeah, that's what I would like to believe. So I so. But if she is, that's also fine. But I didn't read it that way. I read it as, you know, she's just a good person. And maybe if you don't want to be a good person, then maybe you don't get to be a Spider-Man. But I I do think, like, it's great that people are finding, like, and I, you know, I I thought it was, like, just extremely queer-coded before I left the theater. But, like, I think it's just so wonderful that so many people are, like, seeing themselves in these characters because like the mm-hmm. whole point of spider-man as emphasized by part one of this saga is Stan any, yep. yeah it's anyone can put on the mask and yeah it stands could be you Stan. and like that's i think one that is like what makes spider-man or spider people so appealing mm-hmm. and like I, but i so i you know I, this is like it uh, like when I first saw this like story advertised, it uh, it was like, oh, like this is a love story between Gwen and Miles. And I was like, do I want that? Yes, I do. Apparently, because of like how it was done. But I also just like in in like trying to it really, I know that like by saying like this is like maybe the most queer coded like superhero film. I'm like also comparing that to X Men, which is you know been seen as like an allegory and it's not a competition. But I just couldn't help thinking as both Miles and Gwen were like struggling to decide whether or not to tell their parents the truth about their identity and then when Gwen revealed her identity to her father and she was basically like forced to run away from home to another dimension and crash with other people like Mm -hmm. how could you like like in even if like this is just kind of an allegory thing and like hitting beats that people can recognize when it comes to like queer stories, how like in the, you know, the year 2023, can we not like recognize that like that this is a story that very much parallels so many like trans mm-hmm. or queer kid stories like mm-hmm. they're, they're like, and so therefore I was, you know, I began sobbing when 
Gwen started telling her story and then continued mm-hmm. on. And then when Miles struggled and then like the heartbreak of I I actually knew Miles was in another universe. That wasn't they a tell twist you. for me. They, they tell, tell you. you when it says on the screen queuing yeah. up universe 42. So if you catch that, you know, yeah. and you know, he's from 1610. Like, it's a, I, but it, it moves real fast. So I can see yeah. not being it. Yeah, like I. I even like suspected he would be sent to 42 before I saw it on the screen, which I think is why I caught it because it does go pretty fast. Mm. But like seeing him talk to his mother and like finally get a strength to tell her the truth and explain what's going on and then it not be his mother. Mm. Devastating. Just all the tears. And then him Mm -hmm. seeing his uncle again, but it's not his uncle. All the tears. Basically, mm-hmm. I'm just telling everyone I cry at everything. <laughs> like, just spider people. Their stories are so good. And, like, <laughs> actually to push back against this canon event thing that Miguel has going on. But, like, the thing that, like, makes them so good is sometimes, yeah, they do share similarities. But, like, the differences, like, the unique little differences and, like, the specificity of who those characters are, I think, are when they like most shine and are most interesting. Yeah. I mean, so classically with Spider-Man, and this is not true of Miguel, maybe, but like certainly of Peter and Miles, one of the things that I love about the Spider-Man character is he is not someone who makes the right choices. He makes the emotional choices pretty consistently. Like ever since Uncle Ben died, you know, like you can't Spider-Man has always had a no, you know, the rules be damned. What do you mean? I can't save everyone. I'm going to keep trying and I'm going to save Mm -hmm. everyone. Mm -hmm. That's kind of his thing. So if I and I'm breaking my own rule here, what my normally I say I leave the source material behind, but just to comment on it because the film is commenting on it. It's weird for all these variations of Peter and other spider people, but primarily Peter to be standing with Miguel and saying, no, it's okay. We can let some certain people die like Gwen's father over there and your father, Mm -hmm. Miles. We're going to we're going to let people die. We're just going to let that happen because Uncle Ben died. And, you know, and think of all the good stuff we got to do. And that's not like Peter. I feel like there has to be some twist in the third one. Well, I think Miguel is really pushing for. So, so I comment. The reason I comment on the symbiotes thing is I think it's intentional that the symbiotes aren't there, and I don't think they're controlling things. But I think Miguel's going to like. I think there's going to be a moment where everybody realizes, okay, this is not who we are, and Miguel's going to say, "All right, I didn't want to have to do this," and he's going to call in all the symbiote Spider Men, and that's what we're going to get. We're going to get. We're going to get human Spider People versus versus symbiote Spider People, and that's what yeah. I, that's what I think the big battle is yeah. going to be in the third one. So you know. <laughs> Cut me a check yeah. if I'm right in a couple of years. Yeah, but uh, but I yeah, it's just okay. Spoilers yeah, I, the, the, for the Flash movie, real quick. Spoiler alert. So spoilers for the Flash movie, which I only I've seen and which I know neither of you guys care about. It's got a similar storyline. I mean, if you've not guessed from the trailers, he's going to do a multiverse story as well, and. The point of your flashpoint story, including this movie, is Barry has to accept that you can't save everybody. And Barry's mother's death, while tragic, is important because it means that there can be 
a flash it means that there can be a batman it means that there can be a like these things are all related and barry has to learn to let go and that is sort of the point of that film and i believe that from the barry allen character in a way that i cannot believe it from the peter parker character or the miles character but miles doesn't do that here and the peter character even in this film you know he feels bad about it but he goes through with it and then then later Gwen just shows up and says, hey, have you changed your mind yet? Yeah, I have. Let's go save Miles. Like, a, that's a weird feat because the character that was developed, not just in the comics, but in the first film and even in this film, I just I don't understand why that guy is going along with Miguel's crazy plan of let's let mm-hmm. Miles' dad die. That's not Peter. <laughs> Peter, yeah, yeah, you know, yeah. Peter is a, I will kill myself to save one person, even if it means a hundred people die because I saved this one person. That is a mathematically wrong choice. It is not, it is, it is a, but Peter is not a utilitarian philosophically. That's just not what he does. It's Which is why he's the best. Of, well, yeah, and it's, but it's why he's interesting. And it is, as I said, in the current comic storyline that Hannah alluded to with Paul, Peter and Mary Jane are broken up for various reasons. And that is part of the story. One of the parts of the story is Peter is the one who is unwilling to make the hard choice that compromises your morality that other superheroes might make. So he'll do the the ontological thing, even if it's ultimately not for the greater good. And that's literally what that storyline's about. And it's been interesting. So it's just that feels to me like the draw of being Spider-Man, the draw of being Spider-Man is it allows you to believe that, no, we'll always find a way. Well, I don't know what the way is like even even the Chris Pine Spider-Man from the first Spider-Verse movie and actually both Spider-Man, P- Peter Parker and Peter B. Parker. They both did this thing in the movie of, all right, well, I'm working out the plan as I go along because that's how Spider-Man works. But there's yep. got to be a plan. We've got to have some way to save the universe. So. I'm just going to keep trucking along here until it comes up to mm. comes to me. And that's, and Miles sort of inherits that. Honestly, I feel like the more we talk about Peter Parker and the more I think about Peter Parker, the more I think it explains who I am as a person. <laughs> like, I think I inherited Peter Parker's martyr complex. Are you going to do the little thing? Let me explain this one more time. My name is Hannah Rogers. And for the last three years, I have been the one and only. No, but like, <laughs> I mean, I want, you know, in explaining to, to like someone while I, why I still mask in public spaces because the pandemic is not over, no matter what the Biden white house says, because people are still getting <laughs> sick. I referenced Spider-Man in like, he puts on the mask for good. I can do it too. <laughs> like, you know, if I can stop one person from getting sick by stopping the spread, I'll do it. Because, you know, again, I heard the words with great power comes great responsibility at some point in time when I was like barely not a toddler and it stuck with me and I can't let go. Which, like, <laughs> again, maybe like too much to put on a late night podcast recording but (laughs) this is like the hour in which we're talking like but i feel like you're right mav but i feel like there has to be like an explanation for why peter is doing the things he's doing i mean it's so hard to evaluate a second part 
because like the first part usually can stand on its own, like Pirates of the Caribbean, yeah, Star Wars, mm-hmm. Into the Spider Verse. Those all had good endings on their own, even if people want more. But the second one is always the bridge movie, and you don't right. know how good it is until the ending. Because if it's a crap ending, it doesn't make sense with the second one. Yeah, absolutely. The, the second one like looks kind of eh, in hindsight. Absolutely. So, and, and this is not a situation of like Indiana Jones movies where they all stand apart or even, you know, even with like your MCU stuff, there's a continuing story, but they're all largely standalone films with the exception yeah. of Infinity War. Infinity War definitely has a to be continued about it, but most yeah. of them are, yeah, you know, okay. You can even like something in the middle, like Guardians 2 or Thor 2 or Captain America 2. Yeah, you, you can just watch, watch one of them and you're fine. I mean, like yeah. you can, you know, it might not be, it might not be your favorite movie, you know, but like I, this is not that this is an empire strikes back. It's a matrix too. It's a, it's very much a, we want to take you on a journey from the status quo of the first film into brand new territory where everything is broken and we're going to try and fix it in the third film. And I think this really wants to be that in a way that I found it a very satisfying movie because as Hannah said, it's got a complete emotional arc, particularly for Gwen, less so for Miles, but I think importantly for Miles. And I think the parallelism between Gwen and Miles is important. And so I like what I got, but yeah, you're right. If they were to not stick the landing, it could adversely affect this movie. And if they really nail the landing, it's going to, it's going to make this movie even better. So that's the gamble you take with a film like this. So we've resolved I, nothing. I think uh, <laughs> here's one thing we can resolve this. The sequel's not coming out March, 2024. I don't believe it in my heart. Um, I don't know the, so it depends on how much they've written and how much they've animated. Writers guild strikes do not affect animation. They right. have, they're not part of the guild. They have said that they have not finished writing it, and Haley Steinfeld oh, no. no. has like said, "I have not started recording." So those <laughs> no. are things are true. No, I mean, unless she's lying, then no. I mean, if she's doing an Andrew Garfield, sure, but if she's not started recording, it's you know, as we tape this, it's June, so yeah. <laughs> so, so yeah, it's not that's my, true. My, that's going to be tough. Much like the movie, to be continued. Yeah. yeah, I mean, like they spent like years, like four right. years, animated some of these sequences, and I know that we have heard that they've worked on Beyond the Spider Verse, like alongside this movie. But like, how much mm. of it's done? I don't know. I, I just in my I want it to be true. Yeah, but like in my heart, I don't believe it. I believe that twenty twenty four is going to be an interesting year at the box office. Show. Well, <laughs> <laughs> oh, you just, I mean. We'll see. And just as a as the box office game that we play every year, I think this year has been really interesting. And just as a recap, late in the show, you are still well ahead. Thanks, Spider Verse. Yeah, I have. I mean, I closed the gap a little bit. I'm not gonna. I'm not gonna catch up with Flash. Not with Flash alone. I mean, it's not that good. But I. This is gonna be an interesting race. I don't know what's gonna happen here, Hannah. I think that you might win the box office game this year. You've got a pretty good lead. 
I don't think so. I aimed to lose, but enjoy myself. <laughs> it's hard to say. The problem with this summer, and we had that show a couple of weeks ago where where we picked, where we just like previewed all the summer movies and I went and did the predictive top 10. When I was working on that, the problem is that the summer is so packed that there's not yep. really room for anybody to really make all the money, right? Like, like even so the flash and elemental come out on the same day this week or came out on the same day this week. And, you know, even with that asteroid city and no hard feelings are both next week. Are they going to be blockbusters? Not the way flash or elemental are, but even beyond that, a week after that, you've got the Indiana Jones movie and the Ruby Gilman movie. Like it's going to be a real packed summer. So I think this is going to be the kind of thing that you're going to you're going to see being an expected hit and it might win the summer. We'll see. I think that the fact that we use Rotten Tomatoes scores is working in my favor currently. That's, oh, yeah. Very that's much all so. Yeah. Because Spyroverse is staying at 96% right now and Flash mm. is staying at 67 even though I don't think Flash will make it nearly as much money as Spider-Verse domestically. No, but it, it's not. And I mean, I picked Flash to be the biggest movie of the summer because I think I said on that show that I thought it would either be the biggest movie of the summer or it would be an abysmal failure. Well, if it makes you feel any better, my parents decided to go see Transformers today instead of Spider-Man. Oh. Um, I was like, Spider-Man is... Choice. I was like, Spider-Man is right there. The Little Mermaid is right there. And my mother's like, we will go see them eventually, but they've been popular. And I was like, yeah, because they're actually good. <laughs> Your parents, big Transformers fans? My mother has insisted we, that she go, like, at least for the first three, she insisted on going to see every single one of them. Wow. Um, and in fact, like the third one I thought was so terrible that I, I had to go to like driver's school that same day and i had more fun in driver's school so <laughs> yeah mom likes the transformers that's what interesting say? i mean she also likes the superheroes she i think she's at this point more invested in, in the MC, mcu than i am i think she actually watched black adam which i did not so and that's a dc film the same huh. yeah oh yeah yeah just that was that yeah, you know she'll just watch the mindless action movies and she mm -hmm. likes them but also is a very big fan of any television. Like, I think like she retired and she was like, I'm going to catch up on all the media I've missed hmm. over the years working. And also like she has this like special power of being able to predict whatever's going to happen on screen. Like she's predicted hmm. like big twists that have thrown me. It's amazing. Uh, does she know who shot Jr. yet? <laughs> yes yeah oh, yeah like, like, like we were like watching like you know jane the virgin and she was like so so this is this and this is this and this is this and i was like how did you pick up on that and she's like if you just paid attention to like narrative like genre conventions hannah you would have figured it out which i felt was like a personal burn given yeah, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I, I do the same thing i i mean i'm I'm annoying to watch movies with if it, oh, actually I'm not because I know not to say anything, but then people look, is like, do you know what's going on? I'm like, yes. And then it's like, I'll tell you if you want, but you don't really want to ask me because I will tell you how this is going to end. Well, I mean, I am annoying. Like, I, I, I guess like, I'm just not as good as her. Like whenever we watch like the knives out movies, I like mm. write down who like the like murderer is. 
or mm-hmm. like whisper it to Josh to just have proof that I was right whenever it comes to fruition. Mm-hmm. And I've been right both times and I felt very superior about it. So I guess, you know, family trait, except I'm not as good as my mother. I guess I need to read more books, watch more TV. <laughs> Something. You need a spatula. No reason. I just yeah. wanted to bring that back. Because <laughs> I thought I would. Very good. Very I have good. like three and, and or four spatulas. <laughs> anyway, this was fun as always. Thank you guys yeah. for joining me for this spider versus <laughs> discussion. I guess, I mean, I was going to say tune in next week where we talk about Flash. But no, we're not going to. That's not going to be next. <laughs> I mean, it's, it, it, honestly, it's just, it's, I don't know that I have a show on the Flash. There's, it's not there. <laughs> so, anyway, Hannah, Holland Drum Hannah, where can people find you? Here. <laughs> Maybe no, we can't find you here. Literally. We'll find you. Okay, we'll find you in, <laughs> in the suburbs of Durham. We'll, we'll find her spackling <laughs> in, in your house. Yeah. I wish I were spackling. That would be so much easier. <laughs> Can we start a home improvement podcast, Mav? We should. Oh God! I mean, I, like I wonder. Like I'm amazed that you guys haven't been so weird because it's literally been. You know, Wayne and Monica are busy with other stuff. And then me and Hannah are just like, okay, so here's the thing that I'm driving because I'm also doing home repairs this summer. So it's been a lot of, of not as large scale as Hannah is, but like I, I've done things like I, you know, I need to rewire some lights. I did that. And, you know, I made a new address sign that I'm working on. And there's a, it's been a lot of stuff like that of just us just talking about random this old house kind of stuff. <laughs> I've watched so many this old house YouTube videos. <laughs> I can't <even> know. <sighs> And Wayne, what about you? Yeah, here. I'm not doing any of that stuff, but I'm not doing much of anything else either. So, <laughs> Oh, you guys. <laughs> One day, it always, like, it's more for me at this point, you know, are they going to plug anything this week or no? Because <laughs> I never actually know till we get to this point in the show whether either of you have anything. <laughs> And as always, you can follow me on Twitter or Instagram or in Facebook, all the places, always at Chris Maverick. You can follow the show, all those same places, at Vox Popcast. You can follow the show's blog at www.voxpopcast.com, where we post about what we're talking about next week. I have no idea what that is. I need to figure it out. So if you have an idea, then drop us a line. Write us a message. You know, if you enjoy the show or any other show, you can leave a comment on the blog and you can tell us what you like. You can suggest topics and seriously i don't have any ideas yet for next week so you know help me out if you enjoy the show we certainly hope you do then please subscribe to us on itunes or stitcher or spotify or wherever the hell you get podcasts from and do us a favor leave us a five-star review if you leave us a five-star review especially not just a rating but a review you write a little something especially on itunes apple podcast that gooses the algorithm makes us more popular really helps us out and it will help hannah's house get painted and spackled correctly <laughs> I don't know how that works, but just trust me, it will. That's a, that is a thing that will happen. <laughs> I would like to thank Maximilian of Thought for Music for our epic theme song, building ever so more epically and playing us out. I'd like to thank you for listening, and we'll see you next time. Bye. 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 Bye.